We're in um, Ezekiel um, chapter 47. And I'm just going to read the first 12 verses and then we're going to talk about this. Um, now, just to say, Ezekiel, um, he, he spoke in visions and picture language. And if he lived today, uh, you would call him artistic. Um, but he lives, but in those days, he was prophetic. Well, he is prophetic, but in an artistic way. So you need to understand that. Um, and here's one of his uh, uh, kind of visions. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits um, and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. I'll just repeat that line. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. From Engedi to Eniglaim, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. And I just want to, oh, was there a murmur? Ooh, that shocked me. There was, for those that are watching on the live stream, there was a faint murmur of thanks be to God from our three Anglicans in the church. Um, I just want to look at this. In, uh, in the Bible, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit um, is, is spoken of many times, but sometimes symbols are used for the Spirit. And one of the symbols that is used is water. So often when the Bible talks about water, uh, it's actually talking about the Spirit of God. <coughs> Another symbol is fire. 
another one is the dove. Uh, another one is the wind, the ruach of God, the breath of God. Uh, and, and, there are, and there are others. And this is uh, one of them. And uh, we've been doing a series. We're coming to the end of a series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, which is it's in a series where we've been aiming to equip you, to equip us as a church for the season and seasons ahead, uh, that we would move more and more in the power of the Spirit and in the love of God. And here I want to give a little bit of Bible context to this. If we want to know uh, about the river of the Spirit, two things that I want to know, first of all, before I jump in, is where does the river come from? And then where is the river going? First of all, where is, does the river of God's Spirit come from? And it says here at the beginning uh, that the, the, the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Now, and that could be translated from underneath the altar, from the south side of the altar. The river begins in the temple at the altar, underneath the altar. That's where it begins. What is the altar for us as Christians? It's not a table where we sacrifice maidens. It's a cross where Jesus voluntarily went to give up his life and to pay the price. So the Spirit always comes from the cross. There can be no Pentecost without Calvary. The Spirit comes from the cross. And that matters. Why does it matter? Because when we understand that, we understand that, that the Spirit always points to Jesus because Jesus is his source. He always points to the Father and the Son. So questions like, um, have you received the Holy Spirit or do you only have Jesus become nonsense questions, nonsense statements. Because if we have received Jesus, if we have received Jesus, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that is in Jesus Christ. And that includes the Holy Spirit. And if we, the, another reason why it's important to understand this is if we understand that the Spirit comes from the cross of Christ, we understand that He is a gift to us. He's not something we earn by being more spiritual, by being more holy, by praying more, by, by, by not doing certain things. He is a gift and it's good to pray more. It's better to be a bit more spiritual than less spiritual, but that's not the basis of anything we receive from God. It's all by His grace. And our prayer, our spirituality is a response to grace. Otherwise, it becomes a work. We pray and we love because we are loved, not in order to get love. This is, this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the basis. And when, uh, when Jesus was on the cross, they put a spear in his side as he was dying. And out of him came blood 
signifying the forgiveness of our sins and water signifying the giving of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, it's important to know where the river comes from because when we know his source, when we know that, we can trust. So second question, where is the river going? And it says here uh, that the, um, the, the river is going uh, out down to the Arabah, to the sea. It's going to the sea. It's going over there and it goes to make the salt water fresh. For where the river flows, everything will live. The river of God's Spirit comes to the church, never ever to stay in the church. That's where we've got it wrong in past renewals and revivals. Uh, he comes to the church en route to the world. His destination is out there and he comes via here to sweep us up that, we, that the river would take us from the church into the world into the world where it's dead, where it is a dead sea, so that the river would make the salt water fresh and where there is death, there will be life. And where we've gone wrong sometimes in true moves of the Spirit is sometimes we've so enjoyed that, we've so found life in that, that we've arranged more and more renewal and revival meetings that have kept us in the church and then after a while they died down and it went uh, and it just lost its, its bite and we wondered what happened there? Why, why, did, why, why aren't we aware of the Holy Spirit as we were in that season? And the answer is he went out there and we stayed in here. And the way to keep revival going is to follow the Spirit and to allow Him to take us where He wants us to. So if we know where, the, where He comes from, the cross of Jesus, He's a gift from Jesus, and if we know where He's going, then what do we do? What's our place? And here comes the measuring tape. And He says, uh, I measured a thousand cubits, um, 21 feet, I think that is, and the water was, was, was um, ankle deep. And some of us, we've kind of got a little bit charismatically inclined. And uh, we love wading in the ankle deep waters of the Spirit. And I don't know if you've ever um, been in a paddling pool on a hot summer's day. And you just get your ankles wet. It's quite refreshing. It cools you down. But it's very, very safe. It's very safe. And some of us have, have enjoyed that. Then another thousand cubits and the water was up to the knee. Well, when the water's up to the knee, you can give each other a really good splash. That's when you do more than raise your hands. That's when you, <laughs> you do a few other things, but you're still in control. And then another thousand cubits and the water went up to the waist. And in my experience, that is the most difficult place to be. That is horrible. If, if The worst thing you can do, I have discovered, is go into a swimming pool slowly or go into the sea slowly. It's all right until it gets to here. And then when it gets to here, it's... You're neither in nor out 
and it's, it's interesting. And, uh, and, and that's where some of us can get to. We can get into that place where we're neither in or out. But then he says he measured off another thousand cubits and now the river was, 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 was deep enough to swim in. It was deep enough to take you. The current would take you where, where the current wants to take you. And you have to take your feet off the bottom. You have to. Because it doesn't work anymore because it's too deep. And that's scary. And I know it's scary because um, I, I was a late developer um, in all sorts of things. And one of the things was swimming. And it was my final ever compulsory swimming lesson at school. I was 13. And everyone else in my class had got their 10 yards swimming certificate, except me. I never had, imagine getting to 13 and never having a certificate for anything. And I coveted that 10 yards swimming certificate. Um, but I was just too scared to get my feet off the bottom. And Mr. Ridgin, who was my PE teacher, the name is engraved on my heart, not for all the right reasons. And uh, uh, he said to me, Pilavachi, this is your last chance. I'm about to blow the whistle and everyone's out. Are you, do you want to try for your 10-yard swimming certificate? And I stood there and he blew his whistle for me to start. And I started doing this, but I just couldn't get both feet off the bottom. I was too scared. I was convinced I would sink. And then after a while, he, a look of disappointment was on his face as he blew his whistle. And he said, okay, everyone out, everyone into the changing rooms. And I was distraught. I was like, if it doesn't happen now, it will never happen. So as they were all getting out, I thought, I've just got to, I've got to try for a little bit. And for a few moments, I got both feet off the ground and I did this doggy paddle. And I just went round in a circle in a doggy paddle. I was so pleased, I shouted, Mr. Ridgin, come back. He came back and I said, I can do it. And he said, okay, Pilavachi, this is your last chance. And he blew his whistle. And I got both feet off the ground and I doggy paddled for all I was worth. And after a few moments, he blew his whistle again and he said the words that I had been waiting to hear. Pilavachi, you have passed your 10-yard swimming certificate. I just want you to know, church, I am qualified. <laughs> and looking back, looking back now over many years, uh, if I'm really honest, I think he was being generous. And I think there was a bit of kindness in there that we never knew existed. Because if I'm honest, if I did do 10 yards, I certainly didn't do it in a straight line. I think I did it round and round in circles. And, uh, and, and actually, it, it, that stayed with me even after I learned to swim. Uh, some years ago, Andy and I, uh, we went to Israel and um, we, was, we were doing a conference or speaking at a conference in Israel. We had a couple of days off and our hosts took us around Israel to see all the sites and they took us to the Dead Sea. And as we were going down, they were explaining to us how people would sit in the Dead Sea because it was so salty and they'd read a newspaper and 
you know, you couldn't sink. It was amazing. And we got excited. And then when we got there, I said to Andy, Andy, you go in. Um, I'll, I'll stay here and I'll watch. You know, I, I, I won't go in. And, and Andy was like, what's wrong with you? What, we're in the Dead Sea. We're here. This is a chance of a lifetime. Why don't you go in? I said, no, no, I don't feel like it. And my hosts were like, why not? And in the end, I had to confess that I had convinced myself that I would be the first human being in history who would sink and drown in the Dead Sea. I thought my, my body mass index was just going to make me go down. Well, I went in and amazingly, I floated. I looked, <laughs> I looked like a whale that had died <laughs> and was floating on the surface, but I didn't care. I floated. But you know what? When you're a control freak, it's very hard to take your feet off the bottom. But it's necessary if we're to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's necessary. And for those of us who love to be in control, and you know what? It's harder. It's harder to do that if you're very gifted. If you're, if you're very intellectual, if you're very able, if you're very organized, if you're very, any of those things. And I'm, and I'm not saying they're natural gifts that God gives. So I'm not one of those that says, well, there's the natural stuff that's, that's evil and then there's the spiritual stuff that's good. No, God gives us gifts. You know, he gives some of us gifts of, of you know, a good brain, some of us gifts of creativity, some of us gifts of, and some of us of good looks. And it's, it's like, and, and the thing is, where it goes wrong is when we rely on our creativity or our intelligence or our good looks or our charm. When we rely on those things, it doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it harder to rely on him. And it's an adventure to take both feet off the bottom. Because when we're in control, the sum total of what we achieve is the sum total of our giftings. And with what's happening in our world, I want to gently suggest, I don't think that's enough. I think, I believe we need something much more. We need the Lord the Spirit, to take us where He wants us to go. And so taking our feet off the bottom means two things. It means, number one, dependence. Choosing dependence, and it is a choice. And number two, it means obedience. And that is also a choice that we make. We choose to depend on ourselves or him and we choose to be obedient to him or not. And, and, and the thing is, when we're very gifted at stuff, when we're always on top, he will, because he loves us, he'll put us in a situation where we are out of our depth. And sometimes we blame, you know, sometimes people, I've heard Christians blame Satan for what is God. Um, and sometimes the Lord, in his love and in his mercy, he puts us out of our depth so that, so that we will choose to trust him, 
so that we will say, you know what, I need to learn a new way. I need to learn a new thing. And, and again, uh, here's how it works practically. And I want to be as practical as I can on this bit. Uh, first of all, I love, personally, I love reading the book. I love this book. And I love, um, uh, I love commentaries. I love reading great books that have been written by, by people who have studied this book on various characters, on various bits. I, I love this. But I've realised that that's not enough. And so I want to suggest to you, whenever you open the book, how about praying every time? Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you show me things? Would you, would you interpret the book that you were very involved in writing so you know better than even Spurgeon and the Puritans and all the others? You know even better. Would you speak to me? And I love Spurgeon and the Puritans and the others. It's not either or. Lord, would you, would, would you speak to me through this book? I rely on you. Another one is, that is my prayer. And I say it to the Lord, and this is private. This is, I say to the Holy Spirit, I say, Holy Spirit, um, I, I just want to say this to you. And you're allowed to repeat this to the Father and to Jesus but I'd rather it stayed between the four of us, if that's okay. Holy Spirit, I'm not very good at praying. I don't know how to pray as I should. So will you pray in me with sighs and groans too deep for words even? And do you know, I've prayed that prayer and then would you believe it? I've looked up Romans 8 and Paul nicked my private prayer and put it in the book. Can you believe that? But I'll pray that because I don't know how to pray. And so me and Paul, the two of us, and he's achieved almost as much as I have. That's another letter that's going to come. Me and Paul, we say, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Holy Spirit, would you pray in us, through us, for us, with us? Would you teach us how to pray? That's a good one. Another one is waking up in the morning. Holy Spirit, would you guide me through the day? I can either do the day on my own or you can guide me through the day. Or you can, you can lead me. I've just arrived in Sainsbury's Holy Spirit. I can either spend all my time buying what I want to buy from the sweets and ice cream section. And by the way, the chocolate section in Sainsbury's is huge now. It's massive. It's like three, three to four huge aisles. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's evil in a lovely way. And I can either do that or I can say, Holy Spirit, is there anyone you want me to talk to? Is there anyone you want me to be aware of? Is there anything you want me to say to the checkout assistant? 
Would you guide me? Would you show me? Would you lead me, Spirit of God? You see, that's choosing dependence. That's choosing to follow him instead of doing what, what living without him. There's a great evangelist called David Watson um, from years ago. Does anyone old enough to remember David Watson? Well, he was amazing. And one of the things he used to say is, he used to challenge church leaders. He used to say, um, uh, if the Holy Spirit left your church, would anybody notice? That was a great one. And then at the beginning of the, the charismatic renewal movement, there were some, um, some people in the church um, who, were, who were complaining about it getting all a little bit enthusiastic and all a little bit emotional. And David Watson's response was, I love this, delirious emotionalism is not the chief peril of the Church of England. <laughs> I think that's still the same now. You know, we're not in danger just yet of going off the cliff. Um, not just yet. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it, it's like, it's like dependence and obedience. And so, as I begin to come into land, what we want to do is we're going to witness to Jesus because we've been told in the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and uh, make disciples of every people group baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so we witness. Does everyone we witness to come to know Jesus? No. Do we say, well, well so-and-so didn't come to know Jesus. I'll stop witnessing. We're commanded to pray for healing, healing of the body, healing of the heart, healing of relationships, healing in society. We're commanded to pray. Does everyone we pray for get healed? No. But we're not going to stop praying just because everyone, we're going to keep flipping praying out of sheer obedience. Because we're going to do what he says on the good days and on the bad days, with the successes and with the failures, because we're called to be an obedient people. And do you know when we do that, we'll see more. And as we as we pray for people, you know, we, we, need to, we need to understand not everybody, not everybody gets healed. But more do when we pray than when we don't. More people come to know Jesus when we witness than when we don't. And that's the point. And, and for us, for us when we pray, if, it's a mystery when someone doesn't get healed. You know that... Um, we, we try and give reasons all the time. Oh, you've had lack of faith or I've had lack of faith or there's secret sin in your life. Now, that may, there may be truth in that, but there's much more to it than that. Let's not, let's not put guilt trips on everyone, including ourselves. Our job is to be obedient. And, and when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he broke the power of Satan and he inaugurated the kingdom in a whole new way. But the kingdom will not come in all its fullness until he returns. On that day, every tear will be wiped from our eyes. On that day, there will be no more sickness and sin and brokenness. 
On that day, everything will be restored. Up until then, we live in the time in between. And our job is to usher in the kingdom by our obedience. The more we, we depend on Him, the more we obey Him, the more we walk with Him, the more of His kingdom will come and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is it done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven? Of course not. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. That's why we pray. But we pray, Lord, come. And do you know what? The more we do the works of the kingdom, the more we move in the power of the Spirit, the more the church will advance. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We have a battle, but you know what? Gates are defensive. We're on the advance, whatever it feels like at different times. And you see, so when we understand that it's the kingdom now and not yet, we won't put guilt trips on people. David Watson, the great evangelist from, from 40 years ago that, that is one of my heroes, um, he was just wonderful, wonderful. And he got cancer. And he believed the Lord would heal him. And we all prayed. Most of the church in the UK prayed for him. He was our leader, our hero. And he died. And we don't understand why he died. But he did die. He did die. And in our church, we prayed for Bob Yule. And he, he died. We prayed for Ruth. And she went to be with Jesus. Just about a year ago now. And I don't understand why. And there are one or two others that God has met and healed that I wouldn't have touched with a barge pole. And I've, I've, I've complained and I've said, Lord, that's Bob and Ruth, it's David Watson, and then you heal this one. I exp answer me. And the Lord did. And here was his answer. It's none of your business. <laughs> It's none of your business. We'll know when we see him face to face. But our job is to be obedient. I finish with one story. Um, and I, I fear I may have told you this story before. Because I think I've told you every story before. <laughs> but act like you've never heard it and then I'll feel better. Uh, years and years and years ago, when I was a youngish youth worker, I was never a young youth pastor, but I was youngish. And it was years ago, I was invited to do a mission at a church in a town, small town called Columpton, just on the Devon border. And I think the church was called St Andrews Columpton. And uh, I took a team of young people with me. There were a couple of leaders, but there was a team of young people. And we, we, we did a cafe and we decked it all out um, in the town and invited young people to do it. And, uh, and then we went out on the streets and we met all young people and we invited them. We gave out invitations. We got to know them. But there was one group of young people that were notorious in Little Columpton 
and they were harmless, but they would bunk off school regularly and they wouldn't put any effort to studies or anything. And they would all sit on this wall and they would spend days sitting around this wall chatting and talking. And they were called the Waster's Wall Kids. And that wall was nicknamed by people in the town the Waster's Wall. And some of our little team went and chatted with them, invited them, and they came. They came to the cafe in the evenings and because they had nothing else to do. And we, we had a band playing and we did some karaoke and we did other things. And then at the end, one of us would get up, often me, and do a little talk, a little epilogue on what it means to be a Christian. Well, they would heckle and they would laugh and I wouldn't be able to concentrate. And I think it was the last night they were particularly mocking and heckling and laughing and talking to each other to the degree that I just couldn't concentrate. I was tired anyway and I didn't know what to say and I was desperate. And I could see my team of young people uh, who were mainly from my youth group, I think, um, they were getting despondent. And I thought, I was saying, Lord, Lord, this, this mission, instead of reaching people, my team aren't going to be Christians at the end of this because they feel this is such a failure. And I was desperate. And I finished the talk early and I went up to this group and I did it in desperation because it was like, there's nothing else. I didn't feel spiritual. I didn't feel holy. I was desperate. And I went up to them and I, I went up to the leader, the unofficial leader. He was the one that they all looked, looked to. And I said, look, I know you don't believe in this stuff, but would you mind if I just prayed for you? I, would you mind if I just, just asked Jesus to meet with you? And he said, nah, I don't want that. That's rubbish. He didn't use quite those words. And then his friends, the others, they started egging him on. Go on, go on, let him pray for you. Let's see what happens. And he went, all right then, all right. And I was like, oh no, this is going to be even worse. This is going to be even worse. Why couldn't you have left it? And you know when, you, when you're in a terrible situation and all you can think is, I will be alive tomorrow. Have you ever been there? Tomorrow will come. What, however bad it gets, I will get over it. And tomorrow I can start the rest of my life. You know, I could emigrate. I could do another job, anything. Well, it was, I was at that stage and I prayed and I did the only thing I knew. I asked Jesus to send his Holy Spirit on this lad. I cannot remember his name. It was, it was 35, 40 years ago. I asked the Lord to send his Spirit and this lad closed his eyes and he just stayed like that. And I felt the atmosphere starting to change. And then the others around him, they were egging on. They're saying, go on, go on, tell us what's happening. Tell him Tell him what's happening. And, and, and after a while, the guy who's been praying for, he said to them, shut up. And I thought, something's going on. And they all went quiet. And then after quite a while, he opened his eyes and he said, what was that? He said, I felt a love. I felt a presence. I felt a warmth. What was that? And I said, it was Jesus. And we talked about Jesus. And a miracle happened. He gave his life to Jesus that night. And by the end of that night, all but two of them had prayed a prayer, inviting Jesus into their lives. And we prayed for all of them, all but two of them. And I was desperate. I was out of my depth. And I had to take my feet off the bottom. And the river took me.
and where the river flows, everything will live. Everything will live. We need to be a people. Thank you. We have two Pentecostals. No, no. <laughs> Thank you. And it's, it's glory to him. Glory to him. Didn't know what was doing. And he did it. And he did it. And our longing is for our church to live like that. As individuals and as a family. Where does the river come from? The cross of Jesus. Someone's at my front door. <laughs> it's probably Amazon <laughs> bringing my latest commentary. <laughs> and, um, where's the river coming from? The cross of Jesus. Where's the river going? out into a broken world, a hurting world, a world that's, that's dead to bring life. He comes via the church to sweep us out. We have to take our feet off the bottom. As we do, we will start to see miracles. Dependence and obedience, they're the two keys. Better than any technique, <laughs> 